The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad you could join me today. And uh, as I mentioned before at uh, our previous podcast, that we're getting into a new series. And uh, that series is uh, One Size Fits All. What we're looking at is the common experience that all men will go through, both for life and blessing or for loss. And as a result, we're going to be focusing primarily on the national life of Israel and what their common experience was. But I think uh, in looking at their experience, there are so many opportunities for us to uh, deepen our walk with God, our relationship with God. And, And that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, I am an advocate of letting the scriptures speak for itself in teaching us about the nature of God and his ways. Ultimately, that is perhaps the greatest body of knowledge that we can acquire uh, in this life, a knowledge of God. So we are looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, and the nation is coming to, or they're really about to um, uh, re-enter the land of Canaan. And I say re-enter because 40 years prior, uh, they had opportunity to enter into the land, and uh, they forfeited that opportunity because they ascribed to God what was not true. And as a result of uh, a wrong assessment of the nature and ways of God, they forfeited that tremendous blessing that was promised to their forefathers and the children, that is those 19 years and younger, were the ones 40 years later will have now a renewed opportunity to enter into the land of Canaan. And that's where we are. So Moses is essentially giving them final instructions, encouragements, and warnings. And this body of exhortations, are the, it is go, it, that's going to be the stuff that we are going to extract for ourselves what is needed to walk with God in the 21st century. So firstly, in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 29, uh, Moses takes the time to renew the covenant. Okay, this is so important. This is a renewal of the covenant. And he begins to say that these are the words of the covenant that Jehovah commanded Moses to make to the children of Israel. Okay, so again, 
All ears are perked and they are ready to hear. Now, what Moses says, for example, uh, he called to all of Israel and he says, you've seen all that Jehovah did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. Okay, but before he goes into that, at the very beginning, he said, these are the words of the covenant. These are the words of the covenant. Now, God takes the time throughout the scriptures to reveal something about himself. And we take this small bit of data for granted. This word covenant means cutting, literally cutting. And uh, the ancient practice was to divide animals and uh, the persons making that agreement or covenant to do whatever the agreement states, they had to pass through these animals that have been divided asunder. And what they're saying by passing through is, let this be the end result for me if I don't keep my part of the covenant. So here, God is making a covenant, a cutting with a nation perhaps two, three million people, it's, it's not stated. But the aggregate experience in making this covenant trickles down to the individual experience. The aggregate experience will also be the individual experience. And we're going to see that when we get uh, further down into the book of Joshua. But for our purposes, we're going to look at the nation and the agreement, the covenant, the cutting that God has sealed himself to. Now, my friend, I want to say this to you. It is difficult to conceptualize that God is willing to make an agreement with you. But that's what he's doing. You see, when the Lord Jesus was ascended and the gospel of our Lord Jesus concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached, uh, you'll find that in Acts chapter 2, that word had an effect on the hearers of that day. And they asked Peter, what shall we do? And Peter told them to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. But what they were doing was entering into a covenant, an agreement with God that they are going to take him, the Lord Jesus, as their Savior and Lord and Master of their life. And as such, he also now will uh, execute his part of the agreement by sealing each believer with the Spirit of God himself. So the Spirit of God, as we are told in Ephesians, becomes the earnest of our inheritance, the seal, the agreement, the down payment, the engagement ring of a future event of marriage, an unbreakable bond between God and man the believer, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, Moses reminds the people that this is a cutting. God is committing himself 
to their blessing, to their protection, to the success in their assimilation of uh, the land, to be with them in battle, all of the promises that were made to them. He is now committing himself to do it. You see, God considers a covenant sacred. When our Lord Jesus gave his life on Calvary, it was an agreement. For we are told that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and that whosoever means anyone, whosoever believes on him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is not only a promise, but it's a covenant commitment that God has made when a person turns from their lost condition and looks at the Lord Jesus Christ as God's divinely provided sin offering, lamb. And in fact, the Lord Jesus was called the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. So from God's perspective, a covenant is of vital importance. He commits himself. It is backed by his unchanging, immutable, holy nature. He will not relent or repent of it. He keeps his promises. And so now, this is being reiterated in preparation for the nation to enter into the land. This is who God is. And I want to say to you, my friend, that it is important that you settle it in your heart that what God reveals about himself, you take it at face value. We are told in Hebrews that it is impossible for God to lie. Now, in the uh, reminder of this covenant that God and his people are about to make, Moses does something that also is instructive. In about the second to about the sixth verse, Moses begins to identify what I will call evidences, great signs that God, that is Jehovah, their God, was at work in their national life. And what they're doing is looking back to see what God has done. Okay, what has he done? And so Moses called the nation together, and he says, you've seen all that Jehovah did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh. So they were eyewitnesses. They saw the plagues. <laughs> the first one or two plagues that came, I think they were probably um, um, uh, involved or, or experienced that little hardship. But after that, Jehovah made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. But they saw the defeat of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. And they were provided for. In fact, Moses goes on to say, not only did they see great trials and signs and wonders, Okay, but this is important. He says, Jehovah has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this day. Now, I want to underscore this. And here's why. He's telling them, you saw what happened. 
But he said, you didn't perceive what the intention was from God's perspective. What was the purpose of allowing you to see these things? He says, Jehovah didn't give you a heart to perceive this. And now I'm speaking to you and me. When we open the scriptures and exercise ourselves to grow in the knowledge of God, we must ask him to open our eyes to see what he wants us to see, to see what is necessary to be seen. Very often in the Gospels, when uh, our Lord Jesus uh, performed a miracle or was teaching uh, certain doctrines concerning the kingdom of heaven, there were instances when he perceived what his enemies were thinking, and he told them. And that ability, if you will, of course, was divinely given to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, when we open the scriptures and want to learn how to hold the hand of God and walk with God, how to have that dynamic experience with the living God, our eyes must be opened to see what God would have us to see. And so he's reminding the people that you saw God's deliverance, you saw his works of power, his wonders, yet they needed a heart that perceives what God is doing. And therefore, I say to you, my friend, when you and I come before God in his presence, as it were, beside still waters, that's the moment that we ask God to give us eyes to see who he is, what he's like, and to be able to trust him implicitly as we had learned about the life of Abraham. Father, give me a heart that perceives what you're doing in my life. Help me to see the uh, if you will, to, to be a witness of what's happening in Scripture and extract that learning and embrace it in my heart. Help me to see the purpose of trials in my life. And when challenges come, when the battles come, when the difficulties in life comes, what we're going to see in the future is that Israel often complained. But they complained because they never saw the hand of God in the trial, the purpose of that trial. And what you and I must do is just that, to ask God for eyes to see what his intention is for us. We want and need faith, the faith that trusts God. And so in the beginning of the covenant, okay, in the beginning, as, as, as uh, Moses said to the people that this is the covenant that Jehovah is making with them, we see that our God, our Savior, is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. He can be trusted. However, as Moses begins to point their eyes to the evidences we now look back and we could see that that 
was the Lord working in our lives. How often has that happened to you? Or has it happened that you look back on the, uh, the uh, panorama of your lives and when you begin to think about some of the circumstances you've lived through, it dawns on you that God was with you. He was at work in your life, training you, growing you, maturing you, strengthening your faith. And then when you look back at some of the other incidents, we find that perhaps we were a little more complaining, dissatisfied, disgruntled. Why? Because we did not perceive the working of God in our trial. So I ask you, as you look into the word of God, you're seeing the agreement that God is willing to make with you, to walk with you, to be with you. The Lord Jesus even said this to his disciples before his ascension. As he gave them the great commission to go into all the world, at the very end of it, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll always be with you. And so it behooves us to cultivate an awareness and a sensitivity to the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Paul could say, Christ in me. So this is me, a covenant-keeping God. Looking back, that was me, God working in my life. And then we come, of course, to the great error, the risk, if you will. And uh, <laughs> they are given a warning in the latter part of the 29th uh, um, chapter of Deuteronomy. And he says, of course, you know, he talks to them of their deliverances when they pass through uh, the land and some of the challenges, uh, uh, you know, when they fought against Og and Sion. And in that process, he says to them at about verse 16 and 17 that not only in Egypt, but in these lands, we saw the nation's gods. We saw their abominations. That's what the Spirit of God calls it through Moses. You saw their abomination, their idols of wood and stone and silver and gold and so forth. And he says to them, uh, in warning to be mindful of the fact that they have committed themselves to Jehovah. This is the covenant. So beware of turning away from Jehovah to serve these gods. So he's giving them a warning. And it, it, it's noteworthy. Okay? It's noteworthy. They needed to recognize that God is not to be trifled with when we, you, and I, and they have entered into a covenant. Okay? They're entering into a covenant. And he says in verse 14, Neither with you do I make this covenant only, but with everyone. So there were others who were not Israelites that he was making the covenant with them. So God is willing to do this for all of us. Every one of us. He is willing to commit himself to be working in our lives and to make his presence known uh, uh, and seen, if you will, 
by virtue of answered prayer, circumstances unfolding in our lives, and we see the fingerprint of God. And we learn to take it all in. If we accept the terms of this agreement that we are going to give our devotion to God, then we need to be mindful that we, are, we ought not to trifle, to minimize, to, if you will, commit sacrilege with this sacred relationship. My friend, this universe belongs to God. Every law of harvest and blessing and goodness, every trial, the beauty, even the very decay, he is the cause behind it. He is sovereign. It all belongs to him. And so he says, you saw the idols on your way here. You saw the allurements. And this is the warning that he gives. Essentially, he says in the uh, uh, 18th and 19th verse, that if a man thinks he can enter into this covenant with me and then turn away and serve other gods and, if you will, break the covenant and believe in his heart that even though he's broken the covenant, he's still going to receive blessing on himself and he's going to have peace while turning away from the living God, that man is fooling himself. It will never happen. My friend, I want to say to you, and this is of vital importance, it would have been better that we not enter into a life of devotion with our Lord Jesus Christ and as such, the triune God. And then to turn away to some other allurement and to believe in our hearts that by breaching this sacred covenant that we're still going to be blessed. It's impossible. This is a sacred relationship to which God calls it a cutting that a breach of this love relationship could never result in blessing. It's impossible. And so he says, whoever hears the words of this covenant and he blesses himself in his heart saying, I'll still have peace. This is what, this is what Moses is saying to the person who breaches the covenant and concludes in his heart, I'm still going to be peace. It's still going to be well with me. That will not happen. It is impossible. Because God, he says, will not pardon him. You know, throughout the scriptures, we learn that Jehovah is a jealous God. And, and people don't like to think about God being jealous. But when you love someone, and love between a man and a woman, husband, wife, uh, when you love that person, and they breach that covenant, it evokes great anger because there's great love um, attached to this person. And throughout uh, the, uh, the uh, Pentateuch, we find uh, statements made that your God, that is Jehovah, is a 
jealous God. So when they chased after idols, it was a breach of a love relationship, a cutting that was established. And I want to say to you, my friend, when we go after trifles, <laughs> go after amusements, I'm not talking about recreational things. What I'm saying is we've allowed some other interest to supersede this sacred relationship we have entered into with the living God of heaven. We have therefore forfeited the sweet presence and power of God in our lives when we have chosen our stubborn way. We've chosen, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to, although I have entered into a sacred relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, my friend. We are looking at the aggregate experience in the life of the nation of Israel, but that aggregate experience is also our experience. And I urge you and I would appeal to you, my dear friend, when we, when we draw near to God in the quietness of our hearts, in his presence before his word, we are seeking to deepen our relationship, our love, our devotion to this God. We are asking him to work in our lives in such a way that when we lift holy hands towards heaven and ask and appeal to him based on his promises to intervene in our life's circumstance, to guide our footsteps, for us to have this sacred privilege, we must hold tightly, if you will, to the agreement that we are making when we covenant to walk with God. Oh, my dear friend, let's draw near in his holy presence beside still waters and ask God for grace to keep our part of the covenant, to hold the hand of the one who governs the universe to trust his sacred heart, that he loves us with an everlasting love. He has committed himself to us to be with us just as he was with Israel, always faithful, always working, always guiding and keeping and protecting and enabling. And he has committed himself to be our God. Let us commit ourselves to be lovers of God and as such a blessing to those around us. May this be so for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.